welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Jack Hudson and joining me as always is the legend Warren Treadway. Treaders, how are you going mate? I'm good, Hudo. How are you? Not too bad. Well, one of us won an election last week and it certainly wasn't me, so... How are you feeling? Feel like Donald Trump. Oh, actually, jeez. <laughs> oh, probably some people would say um, Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, no, it, it was good, obviously, talking about the Port Adelaide uh, members' election. Um, yeah, between myself and Bruce Abernathy. But the way it played out was um, very public, but it's um, I'm happy with the result. Um, set through a wasn't actually officially a board member last Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, the AGM was Friday night, but was invited by David Koch, who's the Port Adelaide chairman, to sit in and see how they go about it. And um, yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah. So, what's the support been sort of like from fans? Because you were obviously at the AGM on Friday night. So, yeah, what's the sort of feedback you've got from them? Oh, it's been really positive. Um, and the reality is, there's a lot of fans were sort of chosen between two former players. So it was. Mm. Some people probably found it was a difficult choice. Some people either wanted Bruce or some people might have wanted me. And um, I, I guess the reality is now both people were sort of stepping up to be that football voice because the Port Adelaide board um, was the only board at that stage uh, in the AFL that didn't have a former player as either a CEO, you know, it was to be Tom Harley, um, Steve Hocking, who are Geelong and um, Sydney respectively, um, or uh, as board members. So as we know, I think Rowan Jones is a... Um, Mark Rusciuto, Rowan Jones at West Coast. I think Mark Rusciuto is certainly at Adelaide. Jimmy Bartell, GWS. So there's a lot of former players on the board. So now Port Adelaide has that compliment. And that was one of my main reasons for stepping up. So from now on in, uh, uh, it's all systems go. Seasons ahead, not too far away. Port Adelaide Family Day. Uh, we're talking about internal trials this week. And like every club, everything just starts to move at pace now. And, and as a player, I go back to the memories. It was a few years ago now, my last preseason 2010, mm. was oh, thank God the preseason's over. We can actually start playing games and we can actually do what we're getting paid for instead of competing against your teammates for a good on six months of training. Yeah, just... Uh, didn't someone say it's like um, dancing with your sister after a while? I think that was a famous quote. Yeah, it's almost like even if you do a flat-out competitive training drill, you go, yeah, we're going flat-out. But nothing replicates flat-out like games. Yeah. So, um, yeah, push come to shove if you're five deep. You don't go for a ball in a, in, a, in a practice session or a practice game. But if you're five deep in a game, you go, oh, well, I'll just split the pack and clean someone up. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to clean up your teammates in pre-season, do you? No. So, we had, speaking of the AFL, um, the uh, 2023 total player payments, um, sort of the numbers were released by the AFL. A lot of increasing, a lot of good news for footy, which um, it's no surprise there. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Um we're talking about a 30% increase over a period of quick period of time. So you, know, you look at the numbers. Um, if you're on 500 grand, you go to about 700 grand. You know what I mean? Like if you're 600, you go to 800. If you're, if you're 800, you tip over a million. So it certainly, it, it goes up quickly. And you know what? I'm a believer that 
Now, I remember my pay packets. I got paid pretty well for what we did, but the salary cap has doubled in that time. So it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, it's unbelievably great healthy game. And, and let's, you know, we'll get into what where, where the health of the AFL sits right now. But if we look through some of these numbers, right, um, five-year-long CBA with the players. Mm-hmm. Now, we've seen some players, Aaron Norton, Connor Rosa, go beyond that CBA um, in their contract. So it's an interesting time Um the total player limit has been revealed by the AFL. It's 15 million per club, which represents a 10.96% uplift. This is from 2022. Mm. So instantly 10% up. Gross player payments increased 9% from 257 million to 280 million in 23. Additional services agreements. So that's the ASA agreements that are part of contracts. So effectively, when, when someone and managers um, do these deals, they go, Jack Hudson is worth. How much you want, Jack? Oh, a lot of money. <laughs> well, you give can't me. give me a figure. I'll give you 300, all right? You're a yeah, below yeah. the AFL average. No. <laughs> so but, but say, say, for example, you're one of the top players and say you're pulling 800000 a year, mm-hmm. right? The club might actually go, we'll pay you 700000 and then 100000 will be ASA. So that is to promote um, your club, to promote your club sponsors. So uh, if you look at the Adelaide Crows, that would be uh, Toyota. So don't be surprised when you see some Toyota branding with the Crows, players in uniforms, five players who are doing it. They'd each be on an ASA agreement and a portion of that 100 grand I mentioned would be allocated to that marketing for Toyota. The same thing goes with a, a Thomas Farms. Uh, who's their footwear apparel? I'm not sure now. Uh, they've had Addis over the journey. You know, you pick Collingwood, who's Nike. So anything that's publicly done in that sphere to promote the club, promote the game is ticked off as... Um, marketing agreements. So that can even be media appearances, that can be um, shopping centre appearances, that can be supporting of charities and branding, all this sort of stuff. So effectively, you have to work it off without working it off. It's not like you go, yeah, 100 grand, I do nothing. You've got to be actively promoting your club and promoting the game, which is really good. And the AFL has a heap of protected sponsors around that. So um, most managers just pretty much say, this is the fee. And then they break it up how effectively it is their way. So the average payments from clubs for a listed player in 2023, get this, mm-hmm. $441,000. Jeez. Right? <laughs> no worries. Next year, $476,000. When I say next year, this current season. So, so these are players who have played at least one match. So it's an increase of 8.71% from 2022. In 2023, 19 players in the competition have earned more than a million dollars compared to 12 in 2022, right? Big jump. And there's some players earning now, eight players in the comp, mm-hmm. earning over 1.2 in 2022. That was only three players in the comp. So like, a, and, and this is a little bit mischievous in ways because a guy like Tim Kelly, we'll get to soon, is said to earn well over a million dollars. But that's what happens is clubs can mash out salary caps. So they could pay you 500 in your first year and 2 million in your last year and then even it out at a set figure just because they have to, you know, older players coming into retirement, dropping in salaries, younger players boosting off, getting new pay deals. So this is some of the stuff that um, happens over the journey. Now, like we look at whether the AFL game's in good health. Well, they've just returned a $27.7 million profit. This is a non-profit organisation too. They broke attendance records, membership records, and the league has spent 2 million extra on executive team in this time. So, obviously, Gillian McLaughlin paying for effectively two CEOs at one stage. Um, Gil McLaughlin had the lot, longest uh, fairy tale exit, more so mm. than John Farnham. He hasn't come back yet. Um, and Andrew <laughs> Dillon, the new boss, um, who, um, yeah, who now takes over. So, there, there is that element. 
obviously part of that money too would be the bumper TV deal they signed. So there'd be bonuses involved in that. So operating surplus up 7 million uh, to 20.7 million. They spent nearly $90 million on game development. And this is huge. I love this because it used to be 60.8 million last year. So they've spent effectively 20, nearly $30 million. It's $29 million more to promote the game. And so promote the game, grassroots game, Auskick kids, all that sort of stuff. Because there are some challenges all around different states. I think we revealed on the big deal probably six months ago that um, I I heard that attendances were actually not um, uh, grassroots levels in South Australia had actually gone against the AFL average. So certainly there'll be some money thrown in. And I love the fact they put $30 million into the game. I I think it's a smart way of doing it. If we don't have the, the kids coming through, who's going to be the superstars of tomorrow? Who's going to keep the the turnstiles moving over? Who's going to keep the quality of the game going? Who's going to keep the TV interest going, the sponsors' interest, the whole lot? It's the whole economy. If you don't have the participation and the fan base, you don't have much. So I really, really like this. Um, They have, however, declined to reveal uh, the salary of the uh, chief executive. This happened uh, as a policy under current chairman Richard Goiter. I'd love for a, a place to be that all salaries are open. Yeah. That'll be an interesting time. I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, but um, and also too, like you talk about what the, the clubs get from the AFL, they handed out $393 million to clubs. Um, that's up from $337 million last year. So whilst the game is healthy and fresh, the clubs will, will get their, their whack and so too the players. And as you say, the, the footy millionaires, they add up, don't they? Sure do. And there's a lot of them these days. Like you said, Tim Kelly took over $1.1 million. On um, Clary, track. There's a few big names amongst that, isn't there? Yeah, there are. And these guys are the superstars of the comp. Like you look at Carlton, Paddy Cripps, superstar. Yeah, Cameron, arguably the best forward in the game. Bontempelli, Oliver, Petrarca, uh, Tim Kelly. The word is that that one, it's been reported in the Herald Sun that that was a back ended deal, but still 1.1 million. Uh, Dusty comes into the last year of his bumper deal that he signed back at towards the end of the 20. 17 season when they won their first premiership. Nat Fife, um, still high ranked last year on a new deal, I think, this year. Jeremy McGovern, too, coming off a huge bumper deal pre COVID. Um, so, yeah, but, and then, then you look at the next challenges. You know, Tom Lynch is a bumper deal. Shy Bolton on big money. Darcy Moore, so he should. Premiership captain at Collingwood. Coniglio, Kelly, and Green, all superstars of the comp. Um, some signed before, some signed after COVID. And, and Toby Green's just a dead set star. So, uh, I don't think anyone could complain with any of those guys because at their best, they arguably the best in their position in that time. I completely agree. And it's going to be funny that we're going to go from these big numbers thrown around the AFL when we go talk about the Super Bowl. Because Super yeah, Bowl, well... <laughs> done yesterday. So Toby Green's entire salary, the NFL had spent um, <laughs> in a month <laughs> building the field. Yeah, and we talk about the field. So they've, they've put the grass down. That's what they've done. They've grown it. They've laid it out. They've leveled it. So they spent a million bucks for the Super Bowl field. And the beauty of the, the Las Vegas pitch or stadium um, was that it was fully retractable to take the turf out of the arena mm. and keep it effectively, not in the car park, but next door, you know, out next to where the cars are parked for a period of time. And what was interesting previously is you know, there have been real challenges, um, particularly last year, when the pitch was still wet when it was yep. moved into the stadium. So it didn't really dry that well, which then, you know, was an issue for the players slipping over, 
fleet's not taking, all those sorts of things. So that didn't happen this time around. It was left outside for longer, only moved in for the last 24 hours, obviously under security, so no one um, would have broken in with a shovel and dug up the pitch. Um, <laughs> so the beauty of this situation is, you know, it, it just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to spend it a million, you're going to do it right. Uh, there were no players really slip over. They were able to wear normal footwear. And I think, you know, it depends on which result you like. You think it's a, uh, res- a resounding success. Yeah, absolutely. And how's um, our quarterback man, Patrick Mahomes? How's his resume as well? It's yeah, stacking it's, up, isn't it? It's getting impressive. And surely uh, Tom Brady's uh, contemplating a bit of a comeback. Yeah, well, he's still got four to catch up to Brady. But you go through <laughs> his numbers, Hutto. Two yes. NFL MVPs. Two first-team all-time pros, six straight AFC Championship games, three Super Bowl champions, three Super Bowl MVP, a five hundred million dollar contract, which will take him through to about sixty years of age, and then he's bought he's bought into right, yep, Kansas City Royals, Sporting Kansas City, which is a major league soccer team, which is owned, I think, by uh, the current ownership of his um, NFL team, mm-hmm. uh, Kansas City Current, which is the NWSL. Uh, which is the women's league, the yep. Alpine um, Formula One team, um, yep. Whataburger, Whoop, and Hyper Rice. So he's not battling. He's got his own documentary on Netflix. Um, good on him. Yeah, it's a big game, right. though. Yeah, hopefully the uh, Alpine Formula One team name doesn't change anything too soon with some sort of uh, Visa card app or <laughs> anything along those lines. Well, it will. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we'll get into the business side of it. 115 million viewers tuned in, which, Greta, did you tune in yesterday? I had it on, yeah. I'm not an active watch every play, but I had it on, watched the halftime show, and then sort of kept watching the second half. I always think it's interesting because it always comes back to always a tight finish, doesn't it? So it's around the 115 million viewers tuned in worldwide, which is simply amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and the get-in ticket price went for around seven grand US. So you'd be saving for the whole year, essentially, wouldn't you? If you yeah, and that's just fan. the sad bit of it, of it is it prices out the the average fan. Yeah, yeah, because if you're a Kansas City fan or a San Francisco fan, there's next to no chance you could afford to really go, unless no. you're a corporate box holder. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, if you, we'll get to the corporate boxes very soon. So the halftime show had a bit of mixed reviews. People weren't raging about it, but people, some people did love Russia. Um, cost fifteen million. While the thirty-second commercials cost about seven mil. So CBS did alright. They gained six hundred million in revenue um, just from ads. Well, there was more than a thousand private jets, and the suites cost two and a half million. So there's your corporate box, people. If you want that, you're going to have to fork out a bit. Yeah, it's huge bucks, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that- and I don't even really know how to say this. Is it Kirsten Jaworski? I. Very, uh, very Polish by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, Jusk um, is the wife of the Super Bowl Forty ers player Kyle, right? So in the end, she's become she's not Taylor Swift, but in terms of coverage, but she's actually been smart in terms of her business because some of the clothing that she's actually sold and and designed. I know she had a jacket which was effectively every team that her husband had played for since his his childhood, um, and she ended up getting a, her own NFL licensing deal. Right, so she yep. could do a custom designs. It's gone absolutely viral. And this started pretty much in January. Her first official licensed NFL product sold for over seventy five thousand dollars US last night. All the proceeds have been donated to the National Breast Cancer Foundation, 
and she has now over a million followers. So it's quite quite amazing. And you talk about the system and the and the business that is the NFL. It doesn't happen in Vegas without them bidding for it, right? So they have to. It's like one of the, you know, it's no different to probably state of origin here, where a game will be in Queensland, a game in New South Wales, and all of a sudden they'll sell it off at the odd year to wherever. Where do we want to play? You know, does it want to be in Melbourne? Does it want to be in Perth? It's played in Adelaide a few times as well. So, um, you know, the stadium in Las Vegas costs two billion and three years to build. So, Jeez. clearly purpose built. Clearly going nuts. It's no coincidence that. You know, we see the big dome in Las Vegas. We see the Grand Prix in Las Vegas. And now that we see this single-handedly, the biggest annual sporting event um, worldwide is played in Las Vegas. If you want some perspective, um, the World Cup soccer goes into 3 billion homes. So it's a hell of a lot bigger. But yeah. on an annual basis, this is the biggest the biggest game that we see. Yeah, it's insane how much there is around the Super Bowl. It's Remarkable, and even the 49ers, like their postseason stuff, like despite losing, they made 25 million merchandise in the last two weeks, including a hundred thousand jerseys sold since the end of the regular season. That's insane. I feel sorry for that poor kid <laughs> just out of school <laughs> working it, but what is he sticking on the back? Was he numbers sticking on the names. back? Yeah, numbers, numbers and names. names. Bang, well, who, do yeah. who do you want? Mahomes, who do you want? Unbelievable, poor thing. Swift, but but it, yeah. and then you look at the social media hook, which is huge. So, just under seven million posts, more than two hundred and thirty-eight million video views, and two point eight two billion impressions. That's double twenty twenty-three. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that's double. That that's wild. Imagine what happens again next year. And speaking of uh, next year, uh, the NFL is going to Spain. So remember, we did speak about the uh, Santiago Bernabeu. Um, Real Madrid's home ground. Um, the newly renovated stadium includes the fully retractable pitch stored underneath the stadium, just the push of the button. But yeah, so the NFL is going to waltz in the Madrid's home ground and it looks amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, and it, that would be huge. It would be absolutely huge. I mean, it's not like exactly like it rolled in like the other one um, in Las Vegas, the Super Bowl pitch. This one actually breaks up and retracts underneath. It's, it's freaky. You can actually, if you want to get on air, get online and, and search it. And check out the Bernabeu Stadium. How they do it—it's unbelievable. Um, but we'll get back to the halftime show. And this—the thing we probably didn't touch on much was mm. Apple pays fifty million US to sponsor the Super Bowl for the halftime show, right? So the first yep. question a lot of people get, and some people might know this, but not um, some people might not, is what does an artist get? So you go, they get fifty million to sponsor it. Surely they'll get five million. Well, I'll tell you. Everyone who ever done the Super Bowl show, whether it was Michael Jackson, Jennifer Lopez, Shakira, who else? The Rolling Stones, Rihanna last year, Usher this year, they get diddly squat. Jeez, the old exposure tactic. That's uh, that's a different one for the Super Bowl. Well, have a listen to this, Hutto, because artists get around $15 million in production budget, right? Which covers anywhere between two or 3,000 part-time workers, stage wow. design, securities, dancers, marketing, all this. Some artists have actually forked out money. Like the weekend spend, uh, that was in 2022. He spent $7 million of his own cash. Jeez. And you sit there and go, why would you do that? That was Super Bowl 55. And so did Dr. Dre when, in um, 22 as well, when they had Eminem and all those guys. Um, this is why. Because Justin Timberlake um, obviously performed. He saw a 534% increase in his music sales straight after the Super Bowl 52. Jeez. Rihanna also had some insane numbers and she performed last year, right? She went to the number one most streamed artist globally. 
17 songs in Spotify's top 40. She got three more million, that is, Instagram <laughs> followers, right? And had more views than the game. Itself. Wow. So let's look at Usher already in the last 24 hours. He's announced a 24-city arena tour. Oh, just by coincidence. Yeah, right? just magically. The impact of his performance saw Spotify streams shoot up only 550%, <laughs> right? The ticket prices are up 40%. And TickPick, which uh, has said that 38% of the total tickets for his upcoming tour was sold when, Hutto? After the game. Bang. Wow. Yeah. So exposure works for that. Absolutely. We'll keep with the music theme and the pop star in the crowd. So Taylor Swift uh, obviously was on the screen about 15 million times, which uh, I think some people got the uh, over-unders markets on different bookies on how many times she'd appear. So that suite costs 3.8 million Aussie. Yeah. So it's got, can I up to 20 people? So I'm pretty sure Blake Lively was in there. There's a few others. Uh, offers a variety of services, including food, beverages, which you'd expect. Uh, bar service and wait staff, cocktails. There was the whole shebang. But you know what? Million. The the thing that surprised me most with all this, mm-hmm. it was shit food. <laughs> like you, you know what I mean? Like it was footy food. Yeah. It was hot. It was hot dogs. It was burgers. It, you know, it wasn't anything super fancy. Yeah. That's what someone said. You could pay your two thousand bucks or whatever. 7,000 for a ticket, and then you could go to the local, um, they said, go to one of the local Las Vegas um, casinos and you get a better buffet for 25 bucks US. People yeah. are widget about. So, yeah, and, and um, there's word around that her partner, Travis Kelsey, actually paid for it for her. So he's obviously making an absolute fortune. Um, yeah. Let's change tack now, get off the uh, Super Bowl, and we yes. go, remember a case earlier in the season, well, last season it was, where mm-hmm. Ben Hunt, who is contracted. Right, state of origin player for Queensland, co- uh, contracted with the St George Illawarra Dragons. Yep. Um, and he pretty much said, "I want out." Right. There was word around that he sort of take less, go for six months, go and join the Broncos and try and win the premiership, and then cash in elsewhere. Right. Yep. And this was all off the back of his best mate, um, who was the coach, Angela Griffin, um, was sacked. So he was asking for a release just eight months after signing an extension until 2025. So. Um, he effectively signs a two-year contract extension, doesn't go his way, says he wants out. You know what? He's got regret now. Um, mm. He's the one who's saying, I didn't handle it well. Um, yeah, let's face it, the Dragons have been the underachievers in recent years, missing the last five final series. And last year, they finished 16th. So, which was, you know, being their worst finish in, in quite some time. So, it's good that common sense has prevailed because that didn't look good for anyone, let alone him. Uh, it's not a case that, oh, yeah, coaches, Kay, um, you could just walk out on a contract. Surely if it's written in your contract, you're entitled to. But if it's not, well, you've got to be a professional and hand it out. So at least common sense has prevailed and he's effectively apologised to all Dragons fans. Yeah, not uh, not a great way to handle things, especially when you break your contract like that. Now, this one's a new one, Treaders. The enhanced games. Like, There's been a few things around this. This is absurd. But James Magnuson is... This is crazy. We'll start a program performance-enhancing supplements in the quest to break the 50-meter record and win 1.5 million after accepting a challenge from the Enhanced Games founder. So there's no timing on this, but this is wild. It's unbelievable, isn't it? You know, Magnuson is a super swimmer and he's passed, obviously, in retirement now. 
This whole idea is from Australian Aaron D'Souza, who's confirmed he'll guarantee the prize of one and a half million with the timing of the event yet to be confirmed. But you know what? Some people think this is interesting. Some people think this is great. We can go back to the Seoul 88 Olympic Games and people argue that that 100 metres between Ben Johnson, Carl Lewis and whoever, people are accusing of this type of thing. Ben, uh, ben Johnson, the Canadian, test positive, breaks the world record, three days later, gets it stripped. Uh, Carl Lewis wins gold medal, Lincoln to Christie. But a lot of those runners in that time have been questioned with what sort of uh, substances they're playing. I think if we start promoting enhanced games, we're lost. Yeah. Whereas we, we want, let's face it, it boils down to it. We want to know who the fastest person in the world is compared to the slowest person in the world. That's what it is, isn't it? Mm. We yeah. want to know as an individual how I go over 100 compared to who's the quickest person in the world. Say you're saying, Bolt. We don't mm. need to go, oh, yeah, I'm at home and oh, I want to go for a run with my kids for a 100-meter sprint. I'd probably ping a hammy. Um, <laughs> but you compare it to how quick's this person who's on drugs. I just don't think it's a good law. There's a reason why drug testing's around. I don't think it's going to help anyone. Yeah, how good is this going to be for people's health? What, they have to sign a waiver? Imagine if something goes wrong there. Um, I just don't like the look of it. I don't think it needs to be done. Some people will think it's cool and I'm an old stiff. Well, maybe I am. I just don't like the look of it. You? I think it's awful. I think we watch the Olympics and those sorts of events to see the best of what human beings can actually do in different events with years of training and years of this, but not to take drugs and try and beat records. Yeah, and let's be fair, when we watch the Olympics or we watch a major event, there is an element of question mark, isn't there? Because it, we've been proven, you know, Maurice Green um, won in Sydney on the women's side. Um, Marion Jones won in Sydney, but then she was caught up in the, the Balco drug lab trial um, where, and tested positive and was, I think she was stripped of her gold medal. So uh, I think no one's oblivious to think that everyone is clean, but if we're just going to go out and promote, what sort of message does this send our kids? Yeah, I think that's the, think... the fundamental. I want to be big. I want to be huge. Oh, I'm just going to go get on the roids. No one wants that. That's not going to help society one bit. No, it's awful. And yeah, no, I just hope it doesn't actually go ahead, but it looks like it will. We'll go on to, a, like, we'll finish up with a great story. So this is the story of the Brentford Football Club's owner, like Premier League mainstay now. They've done some amazing things, played some amazing football. So Matthew Benham, the uh, owner. So graduated from Oxford. University of Oxford, with a degree in physics and spend the next 12 years working in finance, named VP at Bank of America, but he decided to change careers in 2001. So he's a smart unit. He's a smart unit. He knows what's going on. Yeah. He joined sports gambling company Premier Bet, and his job was to help develop predictive gambling models based on analytics. So the best part, he learned under one of the most successful gamblers in the world, Tony Bloom. So after only a couple of years, those two had a falling out. Not sure why, but by the time he'd left, um, the fire was already lit. He wasn't going back to investment banking. He was a professional sports gambler. So he went on to win millions gambling on sports and in 2004 set up his own betting syndicate, Smart Odds. So the idea was simple. He consulted clients using the same algorithms, statistics and data research that made him a successful gambler. So it was a massive success and he now owns Matchbook, a popular sports betting exchange. With financial freedom, he was able to pursue his other passion, Brentford. So he bought a so, soccer club with his cash. Yeah, not bad. That's what yep. I'd do if I won an absolute ton of money. Um, yeah. Attending his first game at 11 years old, he was a life... So, so he's a life... Piece. 
so he's a lifelong Brentford fan. Yeah. Yeah. Lifelong Brentford fan. So when the club faced financial trouble in 2007, so then he went, they were nearly gone. He uh, provided a 700 grand loan so that the supporters could purchase the team, but there was a catch. Yeah. Um, what is it? Prov- so provided the loan, he had the option to purchase the club should the fans choose not to repay the loan. In 2012, the fans declined and he became the owner of his childhood team. And the interesting part, he decided to play Moneyball, which so we he watched, hit. He watched the movies, did he? We, we've watched the movies, but we've heard so much about Moneyball used incorrectly in different pieces of sport before. So he spent almost $10 million on another club in Denmark, um, Michelin, um, to test the analytical concepts. The ideas that worked, he used at Brentford. The ideas that didn't, he threw in the trash. He fired staff members, bringing in more analytically minded people that lacked traditional experience, stopped caring about wins and losses, which ooh, that'd go down well in certain places. Instead, <laughs> they developed a set of key performance indicators and determined if they were making progress. So they started looking more at expected goals rather than how many goals a player actually scored. So XG, quite a notable stat in sport these days. Like it's used, I think, in AFL a bit now. Yeah, it is. Yep. Very prominent in um, soccer. So when you're on the top of the goal square, you're expected to kick the goal. Yeah, so it would be one XG as a goal. Yeah. Yeah. So the club, yeah, they stopped caring about that. Um, but in their theory, in a low-scoring sport, they're skewed by randomness and luck, quality and quantity of chances created during a match mattered much more, which is correct. Their drastic move, while the clubs were investing millions of dollars in their youth academy, Brentford decided to eliminate theirs completely and instead relied on a B team. So Adelaide United player Lockie Brook ended up a part of this B team a few years ago. So it was 17 to 20 year olds that were rendered useless by the clubs. Interesting. So, why? Because Brentford believed you had to give a young player at least 35 games before determining his value. But the richest clubs in the world didn't have the time, patience, or appropriate infrastructure to do that. So, Brentford did. So, this allowed them to find some undervalued players that could come in, help the club win, and be sold for record profits. So, Ben Rama, who yep. now plays in Leon. Um, they bought him for $3.8 million, sold for $40 million. Ollie Watkins, English international superstar for Aston Villa now, bought for $2.3 million and sold for $36 million to Villa. Neil Morpire, who they've actually got back, the French striker who loves chatting a bit of uh, rhubarb on the pitch, bought for $2.1 million, sold for $26 million. Oh, it's a nice so, profits there. Yeah, so the results weren't obviously immediate, but now a decade later, it paid off. Um, they won the championship playoff final and they are sitting comfortably in the Premier League and that promotion worth $300 million. So he saved his childhood team from bankruptcy, used a 700k loan and now turned it into $300 million or more. And he's a god to all his fans. Absolutely. He's oh, the highest and the club. respected yeah, highest respected owner out of um, all fans done by a bit of a survey a few years back. So yeah. How's that for a story, Traders? Yeah, well, it's amazing, isn't it? We see it at infield for trade in the, club, the the game we love, AFL. Um, yeah. And we've seen data analysts, you know, you look at footy department spends, when that was cut by $3 million in the AFL, who went? You know, there were some tough decisions on analytics experts, psychologists, um, coaches went, coaches' pays got cut, everyone got cut, you know what I mean? Um, and this is the area that a lot of recruiters look to because, you know, whilst you're, you know, some, some clubs have the pulling power like Brisbane to create the lifestyle away, um, mm. South Australian clubs go, hey, we want to bring South Australians, uh, if they want to, come home to family. There's always that pull. Western Australia, the same. 
Um, Sydney pitches the lifestyle that you can have the big the big uh, CBD when no one annoys you in the street. You can just chill around because it's pretty much a rugby league based state and a big business state um, and huge population. Or if you like the manicness of Melbourne, um, that that is the the cell that it is uh, effectively ten AFL clubs, the hub of Melbourne. So yeah, we see all these different bits and pieces, and and certainly the analytics plays a huge part in the draft. And I always laugh too when media guys go, oh, this person's going to go here, going to go there, going to go there. Well, you can't watch under 18s for six weeks. You've got to watch them. And clubs are watching them for four, five, six years. They have yeah. GPS data on them all the time. Uh, they talk through all the different instances of what their positives and negatives are. They psych test analysis, they interview, they do all this. So when it comes to a draft time, you know as much information or more so than the player themselves. Yeah, and, and that is a wonderful story on analytics in sport and how someone has bucked the trend. Hmm. Um, and, you know, they've, they've, they've won significantly out of it. I remember seeing, um, I was watching my um, cousin's under-13s game while he was at Central Districts and Gary Hawking sitting in the stands watching. Yeah. While he was at Port Adelaide. So, definitely, um, definitely happens. But that is all from us this week. So, thanks for joining us, Shredders. The Super Bowl was sensational. And... We will see you all again next week. See you, mate. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.